Today's daf is Kafbet in Betza. We will begin on daf Kaf Aleph Amud Bet with the second Mishnah that appears at the bottom of the Amud. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Just about ten lines from the bottom of the Amud. Uh, the end of the line. The Mishnah says, There were three practices, uh, three areas in which Rabban Gamliel was strict in accordance with the rulings of Bet Shammai. One cannot, in the first place, the Gemara will explain what the case is, but uh, insulate food, hot food, on Yom Tov. And one cannot set up or set straight the Menorah on Yom Tov. Again, uh, the simple meaning of that would seem to be that if the menorah, if the lamp fell over, one could not set it upright. We're going to see what the Gemara says about that. One can also not bake thick loaves, only wafers. They said to him, what can we do? Regarding your father's house, they were strict for themselves, but they were lenient for the rest of the Jewish people to allow everyone to bake any kind of bread or wafer or uh, uh, they allowed them to bake pati, uh, the pitin uh, goritzin, the uh, thick uh, wafer, the thick uh, cakes, as well as v'charin and also the, um, uh, also the rolls. In other words, they didn't impose this stringency on the rest of the Jewish people, even though Rabban Gamliel himself had that stringency that he practiced. The Gemara says, hey, what case was it in which Rabban Gamliel would not insulate food on the uh, Yom Tov? Well, if you're talking about where the person had an Eruvet Tavshilin, so then what's the reasoning of Beit Shammai that you wouldn't be allowed to insulate food? If you didn't make an Eruvet Tavshilin to allow you to prepare from Yom Tov to Shabbat, so what's the reasoning of Beit El that allows you to insulate food? We must be talking about a case where the person, it was a Friday Yom Tov, and the person did not make an Eruvet Tavshilin. Uh, and according to Beit Hillel, the rabbis allowed you a minimum amount of, uh, of melacha, despite not having the Erovei Tavshilin, just to enable that you to survive for Shabbat. This is in accordance with Rav Huna's own reasoning elsewhere, that somebody who did not have a place in Erovei Tavshilin to allow him to cook from Friday for Shabbat, they can bake him one loaf of bread, they can cook for him one pot of food, they can light him the one candle that he needs. Uh, in other words, the idea is that uh, the minimum amount can be done to help him. And so then Beit Shammai is saying that doesn't apply to uh, being able to uh, insulate food from Friday to Shabbat. Uh, in a case where the person did not hear, have an Eruvay Tavshilin. Some say that uh, in, a, in a, the name of Rabbi Yitzchak, that you could even roast for such a person a small fish to hold him over through that Shabbat. That um, somebody who forgot to place an Eruvay Tavshilin to allow him to cook from Friday to Shabbat, they can bake for him one loaf of bread, and they can um, insulate for him one pot, and they can also uh, light a candle for him, and they can also heat up one pitcher of water from and some say that they can even 
uh, as roast a fish for him. In other words, the idea is, um, and both here and uh, and in, on the previous Samud where it says, when it talks about the one pot, it should say, Vitomeninlo. Uh, just like it says on Kafgimel, uh, uh, sorry, Kafbet Amud Aleph, uh, the word Tomnin, that's what it should say on Kaf Aleph Amud Bet, that the Chidush is that according to Beit Hilel, since the person did not leave an Elvet of Shilin and therefore needs help to uh, prepare for that Shabbat, he'll have nothing for Shabbat, so we're allowed to insulate food for him. Beit Shammai says, no, we cannot. And that was what Rabban Gamliel was stringent about. An alternative interpretation, maybe we're really talking about a person who did put an Eurofet of Shilin. But we have to be extra stringent according to Beit Shammai. Even a person who made an Eurofet of Shilin and is therefore able to cook and do all kinds of things on Friday, which is a Yom Tov, for the Shabbat, which is the next day, he cannot insulate food according to Beit Shammai because it's too obvious. Because what is insulating food for? It's always for later on. It's too obvious that he's preparing for the next day. So you're not allowed to do that even if you have an According to Beit Shammai, this is different than the previous answer that said that Beit Shammai was strict in a case where you didn't have an Eruvay Tavshilin. Here we're saying even if you did, raised an objection to this. That um, according to Chananya, Beit Shammai's position is that one can only bake if he has a baked good to rely on as part of the Eruvay Tavshilin, and he can only cook if he has a cooked dish to rely on in his Erovet Tevshilin, and he can only insulate food if he had an insulated food from before Yom Tov, that he can rely on as his Erovet Tevshilin for insulation. In other words, each malachah that you're doing, or each thing that you're doing for the sake of Shabbat, you had to have started that process on Erov, Shabbat, on Erov Yom Tov. Ha hayulo chamint monin mia avid. So the implication is, of course, that if the person did have an Erovet Tevshilin that included the insulated food, he'd be allowed to insulate food on Yom Tov for Shabbat, even though even though it's very obvious that he's doing it for Shabbat, it doesn't matter. He picks up on the line of reasoning of Ravah, but he tweaks it a little bit and he says, yes, that is what Beit Shammai was talking about. He was talking about a person who had an Eruvet Tavshilin, but he did not have as part of his Eruvet Tavshilin a an insulated food that was hot. And so therefore, according to Beit Hilel, all, all you need is one dish, and that covers every melacha that you want to do from, from Yom Tov to Shabbat. Just the one dish is good enough. So then you could also insulate. But according to Beit Shammai, that you need bread if you want to bake, and you need a cooked dish if you want to cook, and you need insulated food if you want to insulate. So if you failed to insulate food from before Yom Tov, you cannot now insulate on, fri- on that Friday Yom Tov for the Shabbat. And that was the stringency of Rabban Gamliel according to this version. You cannot set up the menorah. Mike Avid, what's he doing wrong? Because seemingly it, it sounded like the menorah fell over and he wasn't allowed to pick it up. We're talking about a menorah that's made of different parts. And it fell apart and you reassembled it. It looks like you're building. According to Beit Shammai, there's a concept of binyan bekelim. There's a concept of construction even by vessels. According to Beit Hillel, there is no concept of binyan when it comes to vessels. There's no concept of building when it comes to vessels. And therefore, the fact that you put it back together is not considered really binyan and it would not be a problem. But according to Beit Shammai, it would be a problem. So uh, Beit Shammai says there is, and Beit Hillel says, there's also no destruction by vessels, only by structures like buildings and so on, could you have binyan according to Beit Hillel. One time Ula came to the house of Rav Yehuda, and 
um, the servant of Rav Yehuda got up and zakaf He straightened up the candle. Now, what this means, or she explains, is that he basically distanced the oil from the wick of a candle so that the candle would extinguish. He wanted the candle to extinguish. And what happened was, Rav Yehuda raised an objection to Ula. Hanotin. Uh, so oh, I'm sorry. So it was Ula, actually it was Ula's servant. In other words, Ula came to the house of Rav Yehuda, and it was Ula's servant that uh, messed with the candle. So Rav Yehuda said to Ula, "If a person takes oil out of a candle on Shabbat, um, he is liable for extinguishing because he hastens the extinguishing. If he puts oil in, he's liable for burning because he's going to cause it to burn longer, right? So it should be obvious that over here with the servant." distancing the oil from the wick and causing it to go out sooner that he's liable for that. So he said to him, So he didn't disagree. In other words, Ullah said, you're right. It wasn't with my permission that the servant did that. Really, he wasn't allowed to do that because it was considered, it was considered extinguishing. Rav said that kinva is allowed. Rashi says kinva means that you cut away the part of the wick that has already become charcoal. Um, and that's what it's talking about when it says kinva. There are other interpretations of the Rishonim here exactly what process is, uh, is being mentioned. Asked from Let's say there's a light on, there's a candle burning in the room where a husband and wife are staying and they want to be intimate. Can they extinguish the light on Yom Tov in order to facilitate intimacy? Uh, they can go to another room. What if he doesn't have another room? My. So then can he extinguish the light? He should just put up a partition to block the light. What if he doesn't have the ability to do that? So my. So still, he said, uh, even though uh, he doesn't have anything to make a divider, he can put something over the candle that doesn't extinguish it, but prevents the light from getting through. What if he doesn't have a vessel to do that? Asur said, at the end of the day, it's prohibited. He's not allowed to extinguish the light in order to have marital relations. There is an objection. You're not allowed to extinguish a piece of wood in order to save the wood. But if it was so that the house won't get smoked up, or that the food won't be ruined, so then we'll tell them it's allowed. So you see that extinguishing is allowed for a higher purpose, for the purpose of preparing the food so it doesn't ruin, so the fire doesn't ruin the food. So, so too, you should be able to extinguish the fire to have relations. That teaching is in accordance with Rabbi Yehuda. It says you can extinguish the fire so that the food doesn't get uh, affected or so that the house doesn't smoke up. She says, because he holds that this is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, that you're allowed to do anything for any need that you that you want, including even preparations for food preparation. In other words, pre- preparing the the utensils, making the utensils, anything that leads up to food preparation is allowed. And Rashi says there that that of course includes anything that leads to the fulfillment of any need, including marital relations. So therefore, any step in that process is allowed, even extinguishing the candle. But the rabbis don't agree with that. They don't say that the ends justify the means. And just because something is for your enjoyment on Yom Tov, therefore, all of the instrumental steps must be permitted. They don't agree with that. And, um, and therefore, they don't allow any extinguishing of the candle for marital relations. Can you extinguish a fire on Yom Tov? I'm not asking for a case where 
there is danger to life. There, of course, even on Shabbat, you could extinguish it. What if the person just stands to lose a lot of money? My, can he extinguish the candle because... Uh, extinguish the fire because it's a melacha that's serving a purpose. It's serving a uh, a purpose for Yom Tov, which is because if he allows the house to be ruined, that or to be like we said before about filling with smoke, if he allows the house to be ruined, he will have to sit in the burning sun and the rain. He won't have a good Yom Tov, so he wants to uh, he wants to extinguish the uh, fire so that he'll have. His home intact. So it says no. So it's, he said to him, no, he can't do it. Why? So he says, um, it's prohibited. Didn't we say that a person can extinguish a piece of wood not to save the wood, but if he's doing it so that the house won't get smoked up or so that the food won't be ruined, it's okay. And here, say it's, his whole house is going to be destroyed. So we should allow him to, if, if to prevent smoking up, the house is allowed. So certainly to prevent destroying the house should be allowed to extinguish. Again, that's Rabbi Yudah's opinion only. The rabbis don't allow you to extinguish just for any reason. So, uh, so too, you couldn't extinguish to save your house uh, on Yom Tov. That only Rabbi Yehuda allows the ends justify the means. So since the purpose is for your enjoyment or for Yom Tov uh, satisfaction, it's allowed. But according to the rabbis, it's not true. Can you put this sort of a uh, uh, ointment around your eye that's supposed to seep into your eye on Yom Tov? It was some kind of a medicinal pro- uh, procedure. When it's dangerous, like some... Such as if you have uh, some kind of a pus coming out of the eye, or you have uh, one of these other conditions that's um, an overabsorption of blood, or some kind of a uh, infection, or there's a constant tearing, or there's a a, a burning, whatever it is, some condi- one of these conditions which can considered generally genuinely dangerous. So then, utchilat ochla. Or if the uh, or if it's the beginning of a sickness, uh, any of these sicknesses, it's starting to come on, and it could be a very serious sickness. Don't be bailey. Then I'm not asking. Even you could do that even on Shabbat because it could lead to danger. What about when the infection is starting to clear up, and you still want to put the medicine on the eye? Uh, such as in a case where um, he just wants to make his eye. Uh, see a little bit more clearly. Really, he's already getting better. He just wants to be able to see better. Is he allowed to put that medicine in his eye? So Amarle Asur, he said it's not allowed. Edve, what about the following objection? Uh, then they raised the objection. What about the fact that you're allowed to extinguish wood in order to prevent the house from getting smoked up or ruining the food? So to what we should say that you should be allowed to put the medicine in your eye in order to uh, enable you to enjoy the Yom Tov. And the ends justify the means. The end of having a good Yom Tov justifies the means. It answers, no, that's only according... We answer like we answered above. In other words, that's only according to Rabbi Yehuda, but according to the Chachamim, it doesn't work like that. And just because you have a justification, you have a reason, doesn't mean that it's going to be permitted. Amemar allowed people to put this... Uh, medicine in their eye to have a non-Jew places in their eye on Shabbat. Not just that he permitted it, but some say that Amemar actually did it on Shabbat. What is your reasoning? Because Ula, the son of Rav Eli, said, 
all needs of a sick person can be done via a non-Jew on Shabbat. That uh, Rav Hamnuna said that anything that is a, even if it doesn't have a danger involved, you can ask a non-Jew to do it on Shabbat, to apply the medicine on Shabbat, and it's no problem. Right? But the only problem is, that's only when you're not helping the non-Jew to do it. You don't, you're not involved. But when it comes to this eye medication, you have to open your eye, close your eye to allow the medicine to seep in. So you're helping, you're participating. It's not just a passive situation. He said, Rav Zavid asked the exact same question that you did. And the answer that was given to him was, assistance doesn't mean anything. Assistance is not significant. And uh, only when you, the process is, com- is dependent on you, but when you're just assisting a little bit, it doesn't mean anything, and therefore it's not a violation of Shabbat to allow the non-Jew to put the medicine in my eye. Amemar also allowed people to uh, place this medicine in their eyes on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. said, that if a person died on the first day of Yom Tov, then non-Jews can bury him. If it's on the second day, um, then Jews can even do it. And even on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, that's true. The Jews could even do it if a person died on that day. But the thing is, uh, and this is, Masha'en ken bebeta, but that's not true of a beta. In other words, we don't say that when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, the first and second days are of a different status. That's That the second day is uh, a lower status than the first day. We don't say that. So... Uh, so, because you see that on Rosh Hashanah, if an egg is born on the first day, we don't allow you to partake of it on the second day. Well, we wait till the entire Yom Tov is over. Um, and so, therefore, you see that what? There's no difference first day and second day. And uh, we shouldn't be allowed to put medicine on our eye on the second day of Rosh Hashanah either. Because it's equal to the first day. He said, I hold like the Narodeins. The Amrei Abba They said, even when it comes to an egg, we have the stringency that the first and second day are considered one long day. Um, uh, I'm sorry, that the first and second day are not considered one long day. They're considered two different days, and therefore the second day is of a lower status than the first day, and that's why you're allowed to put medicine in your eye that day. Um, what's your reasoning? You think that maybe they're going to make Elul a 30-day month, and the second day will really be a will really be the Yom Tov, and therefore you want to say that both days of Rosh Hashanah are equally strict, because either day could end up being the Yom Tov equally, and therefore we treat them all as one day. But the reality is that Elul has never been a 30-day month since the time of Ezra, and that means that the first day of Rosh Hashanah is always the real day. We don't have to worry about the second day being the real day. We can treat it just like every other Yom Tov, that the second days have a lesser status than the first. You're not allowed to make thick bread, only this type of a wafer. The rabbis taught, Beit Shemai says you cannot make a thick kind of a dough on Pesach. What's considered thick? It has to be a, a meaning anything less than a hand's breadth uh, of uh, wide is allowed to be baked on Pesach. More than that is where you have is where it's not allowed. So, uh, in other words, according to Beit Shammai, it's not allowed. According to Beit Hillel, it's allowed no matter what. But according to Beit Shammai, there's a limit on the size of the bread you're allowed to make. Shekin uh, Matzinu, so the question is, right, because we see that Lechem Apanim was a tefach, was a hand's breadth uh, in its height, in its thickness. And so, therefore, that's considered to be the most you can do uh, on a Yom Tov. 
not to keep the Rav Yosef, im amor bezorizin, amor bezorizin. Just because they said that about people who are very careful doesn't mean none, people who are not careful can be expected to do the same. Im amor pat amela. If they said that about bread, about dough, that really was kneaded and, uh, and, and prepared properly, thoroughly, then fine, then we don't have to worry about it becoming chametz. Could you say the same thing about any other dough? And if it's true about dry wood, what if they use moist wood and therefore it doesn't devour the meat as quickly and the korban isn't offered in its proper time? Similarly, if we, uh, if we, um, right, so in other words, if we, uh, if, just because they said regarding the uh, regarding the lechem apanim, which is done by the kohanim, that uh, that the uh, that a thick bread is allowed, that's because it's done by people who are very careful, and it's done but with a dough that is very very carefully kneaded, and therefore it's going to be taken care that it doesn't become chametz. It's taken out in the proper time, and similarly when it comes to the wood, they used wood that was very dry, not wet. That that doesn't necessarily apply to uh, moist wood, meaning to say. That uh, the, that the the bread will cook very quickly, so we don't have to worry about the thickness. Just because uh, they said that uh, a thick bread, a thick dough, could be baked in a very super hot oven of the Beit Hamikdash, doesn't mean that they would say the same thing about a cooler oven of ours. If they said that about a metal oven that they had in the Beit Hamikdash, would they say the same thing about a uh, about an oven of earthenware like we have that doesn't cook quite as fast? In other words, just because they allowed. Thick dough in the case of the lechem of panim doesn't mean that they would allow thick dough in our case. He said, I asked the, the master, the teacher, directly. I asked him specifically, Umanu, and who is this teacher? Rav. It was Rav. My pat, pat It's not talking about a thick dough. That wasn't what we were talking about, the machloka between Beit Shammai and Beit Hilel. Not about a thick dough, because a thick dough, apparently, everybody agrees that a thick dough would not be allowed outside the Beit HaMikdash to be prepared for Pesach. But it, what it meant was pat merubah. What it meant was a lot of dough, meaning it's not talking specifically about Pesach, but it's talking about Yom Tov, that you shouldn't make a ton of bread, because a ton of bread takes a lot of work. That according to this version, Rav Yirmi Abba said in the name of Rav, that I asked Rabbi, Specifically, and who is the Rabbi in this case? Rabbi Noah that means it's Rabbi Yudan Nasi. My patava, pat What does it mean? Thick bread, a lot of bread. What do they call it? Thick bread. Because it takes a lot of, um, a lot of kneading, uh, to produce it. Not because it's a, um, not because it's a, uh, uh, because it's uh, the size of the bread, but the effort that goes into the bread is what we're talking about. Alternatively, it could just be a matter of speech, figure of speech, that in the, with the Tana that formulated this teaching, they called a lot of bread, thick bread. That, that was just the way that they spoke. Okay? The thing is, if we're talking not about thick dough, meaning the size of the, the, the uh, thickness of the dough and a concern of chametz, but we're actually just talking about the amount of loaves that you're putting or the amount of bread that you're putting in the oven, so then why is it only about Pesach? If it's an issue of tchachaf, it's an issue of the excessive exertion, then it should apply to all holidays equally, not just Pesach. It says, and I'm, you're right. 
Vitana biyom tov, the Pesach Kayet. It just happened to be that the Tana that was teaching it was talking about it on Pesach time, so he, or when he was teaching the Halachor of Pesach, so he mentioned Pesach. Well, really, it's true about all holidays, Tanina Miyachi will end in a Brayta, that Beit Shamayomrim, Enofin Pat Merupa biyom tov, Vitilel Matarim. We see exactly this, that it's not about the thickness of dough of Yom Tov. There, it seems that everybody agrees that one should not. Uh, use a thick dough because of the dangers that are becoming chametz. The issue is that, and because only in the Beit Hamikdash, where the uh, the Kohanim were doing it and they were experts, was it possible for them to ensure that it wouldn't become chametz? Whereas uh, the machloket really between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai was about making a lot of bread. Whether that extra tzirchah, that extra effort, is uh, permitted on Yom Tov or not on any Yom Tov, not necessarily are we referring to to Pesach. In particular, the uh, and and that's the conclusion of the Gemara that Beit Shammai is stringent and says you can't make a lot of bread. Beit Hillel says you can. Uh, the Mishnah says Afu Amar Shoshad Varim Lakel. Rabban Gamliel also said three leniencies. What were those three leniencies? Mechabdi in a Beit Hamitot. You can sweep the living room. And you can also put incense. Uh, on Yom Tov, right now we're assuming it means incense to make this the, to put fragrance into the clothing. And you can also make a gedimikulas, which is making a uh, basically a uh, a sheep or uh, or um, or kid, meaning a baby goat or baby uh, sheep. You they would roast it um, with its innards next to it or above it, and they they roasted it whole. This is how the korban pesach was roasted, and so that was according the rabbi said you're not allowed to do that on pesach. You're not allowed to prepare uh, something like that on pesach. Because it looks like you're making the Korban Pesach. But some said, no, you're allowed to do it. And it's no concern that people will confuse it with the Korban Pesach. That you took the innards and you put it above the, um, the, uh, the, the, the sheep or the goat that you are roasting. So Chachamim prohibited all of these things. They said you can't sweep the floor because you're going to flatten the floor. They had dirt floors. You're going to flatten the floor. You cannot... Uh, burn the incense. Rashi in the Mishnah says that the reason why the Chachamim don't allow it is because it's not something that everybody enjoys. It's too much of a luxury. It's not a basic need and that's why it's not allowed. And they didn't allow you to uh, roast a, uh, a, an animal in the manner of the Korban Pesach because it would be confused with somebody who was actually sacrificing the Korban Pesach outside the Beit HaMikdash. That where is there a Machlok between the Chachamim and Rabban Gamliel regarding Putting fragrance into clothing. But if you're just burning the incense so you can smell it, everyone agrees it's okay. Is that true? We have a, a rather long brighter here. It says, you cannot sweep the uh, area, the living area on Yom Tov. But in, but in Rabban Gamliel's house, they did it. Many times they followed my father into the house of Rabban Gamliel. They did not sweep the floor on Yom Tov. Yom Tov. They, sw- they swept it before Yom Tov. They just covered the ground with sheets. And they would just take away the sheets when guests came the next day and it looked like it had been freshly swept. 
If that's true, then what's the point of the machloka between Rabbi Gamliel and the, and the rabbis? Of course, if they swept before Shabbat and then they just covered the floor, or they swept before Yom Tov and covered the floor, everyone would agree that's okay. So it must not be saying that. It must be talking about sweeping on the Shabbat itself or on Yom Tov itself. You cannot place the incense on Yom Tov. And Rabbi Gamliel's house did. Many times said Rabbi Eliezer ben Bar Tzadok, I followed my father to Rabbi Gamliel. House. They didn't put incense on Yom Tov. They, would, they had these like um, uh, iron tubes with holes in them. They would put the, smoke, the fragrant smoke into these tubes and they would plug it. They would plug it up so that they, it was held in there. Then when the guest, guests would come, they would open the tubes, and then the fragrance would spread throughout the house. So they didn't actually do anything on Yom Tov. Amrullah said to him, Why would Rabban Gabriel argue with the rabbis about such a thing? Because if that's the case, that we're just talking about saving the incense in a tube until Shabbat or Yom Tov, that could be done according to everyone. Right? So rather, it must be that Rabban Gabriel was actually allowing you to burn incense on the Yom Tov and only to make a good fragrance. So the, uh, so the point is that it's not, not talking about where you were putting fragrance into clothing, but even to make the good fragrance, that's where there was a machloket between the rabbis and the rabban Gamliel. So the Gemara says, you're right. We go the other way. That, that uh, the only case in which they, said they had a machloket was when you're doing it for smell. That's where Rabban Gamliel said you can burn incense for good smell, and Ra- and the Chachamim said no, since that's something above the in- the luxury level of most people, it's not what's called a devar shavelechol nefesh. It's not something that's equal for everyone. So therefore, we don't uh, do that on Yom Tov. But to to put fragrance into your clothes, everyone agrees is prohibited on Yom Tov uh, to do that. So the idea is that. Um, what do we say about something which is nefesh? We know that in order for, to be permitted on Yom Tov, it has to be something that everyone basically would appreciate in terms of pleasure. So the question is, is it that it has to be something that everybody does or something that everybody would like to do? So if it's what everybody would like to do, so then incense would be good too. The fact that the poor person can't have incense in his house is because he's poor, not because he doesn't want to. On the other hand, if it's what people do, so the poor person doesn't have uh, incense, that luxury, even though the wealthy person does, and then it wouldn't be allowed on Yom Tov if it goes by what people actually do. What's the rule of smoking things? In other words, making the good fragrance and putting it into foods, let's say. Creating an incense smoke and putting it into foods. Rav Yirmiya said in the name of Rav, you're not allowed to do it. Ushmuel says it's allowed. Rafuna Marasur. Rafuna said it's prohibited nation because you're extinguishing. In other words, when you put the Bisamim onto the coals or whatever it is to create the smoke that will create the fragrance, you're extinguishing it a little bit when you drop the Bisamim on there, so you shouldn't be allowed to do it. What about the fact that uh, you're actually creating fire? In other words, you're causing the bisamim to go on fire and to smoke up. He said, Amar, uh, he said, uh, Right, so he said to him, You're right, there's two things. When he first puts the bisamim down, then it's extinguishing, it extinguishes the coals a little bit, but then eventually it burns up the incense, so that's another melacha also that is problematic for the Yom Tov. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, 
You're not allowed to do it on top of coals because that actually extinguishes the coals and then burns up the cheres. If you heat it up in earthenware uh, shard really, really hot and then you put the besamim on that, then it would be allowed because there's no extinguishing over there. And the way that you're burning the incense is an unusual way, using a shard of pottery. So then it's going to be permitted. Rabbi said, no, even on a shard of pottery is not allowed. Because you're still creating a smell, the smell that goes into the shard of pottery. You're creating a Yom Tov. Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef said together, Pouring some perfume, basically, on clothing on Yom Tov is prohibited. Because you're adding a fragrance, you're adding an element to the item, to the piece of clothing. What's wrong with, uh, why is that different than when you take incense in your hand or some kind of good smelling thing and you roll it in your hand and then smell it? You break Let's say the cinnamon stick and you smell it. You're allowed to do that on, on Yom Tov. So why you're creating smell? It says no. Hatam recha Over there, the smell is already in the cinnamon. It's already in the potpourri. It's already in whatever you have, right? It's just that by opening up the channel, by breaking open the cinnamon, whatever, you're allowing the smell to come out more, right? You're allowing it to come more. Here you're creating the smell. In other words when you're just dealing with the besamim themselves and you manipulate it or you break it or whatever in order to make the smell come out so you're increasing the smell. But you didn't create the smell. Whereas when you, uh, when you do something that puts smell into a, an object that it wasn't there before, that's a totally different story. Rav goes and says, no, even doing that on top of a uh, charcoal is still permitted. Why? Because you see that you're allowed to put a piece of meat on coals, even though the liquid from the meat is going to extinguish it somewhat, and uh, it's not going to be a situation which is uh, the most sensitive to the flame. In other words, what's going to happen is by putting the piece of meat on there, it's going to drip on there, it's going to extinguish it, and so on, and you're still allowed to do it. So too, should you be allowed to uh, place the bisamim directly on the coals.